Welcome everyone to Be Better Betters. I'm the host, Spanky. Thanks for listening. My guest this week has been in the sports betting business for over 17 years. He's worked at stations, Cantor, CG, Caesars, and is currently the vice president of trading at WinBet. Please welcome my man, Alan Berg. Alan, thanks for coming on, brother. Thanks for having me, man. 17 years. Oh, my God. What am I doing with my life? <laughs> so, <laughs> I love it. Let's, uh, before we start out that 17 years, let's start from the beginning. How was life growing up? Uh, pretty basic, man. I, I had a really, like, simple childhood, I guess I'd put it. I grew up in a very small town in Montana. Um so, you know, the most excitement when I got to high school is basically like driving down Main Street. So it's pretty, pretty chill. And what part of Montana? Uh, it's a town called Townsend. It's um, it's south of the capital, Helena, by like 30 to 3 miles. So it's it feels like it's in the middle of nowhere, but beautiful part of the country. I love it. Yeah, we were. I was just recently in Montana. It's so beautiful out there. We went whitewater rafting and whatnot. But, um, nice. yeah, it was a good time. So in Montana, uh, how's the gambling life? There's no casinos in Montana. Oh, there are. Maybe there's a few. That's right. There are a few casinos. Yeah, we, yeah the, pay, the payouts aren't exactly the best up there. Yeah. And uh, they have a just a horrendous, uh, a horrendous sportsbook uh, lottery system that just is unbelievable at gouging people's prices. It's really it's too bad. When you were when you were growing up, how was 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 gambling just part of the culture, or uh, did you play with a guy? Did you bet on anything? No, not really. Um, I, I got more into the the whole betting thing when I got out to Vegas. Um, I came here like for my first year of college out here, and I actually ended up having to transfer back home because I was getting just too into the lifestyle versus actually going to classes and stuff. Um, so that was kind of funny. You know, being 18 from Montana and going to Vegas is uh, it's a pretty big change. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So if if you're so you're you're 18, you're not your first introduction to gambling is the first time you step in Vegas. There was no neighborhood bookies, there was no sports betting pools or anything like that. You weren't involved with any type of online gambling at all, or no, not not when I was uh, not when I was a kid. I, I did like some football pools and stuff that I think my dad was probably like roped into a bar or something, but. Um, you know, he would put my picks in and, you know, we did pretty good here and there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was kind of, I don't know. I think it's just cause I was in such a small town. I really didn't have like the, there wasn't really like the bookie, uh, the, the bookie noise, I guess, like in our, in our small city. Gotcha. So what kind of lures you to go to school in Vegas? Um, and what did you, what did you wind up studying? What, what, what was the thing that kind of made, you know, why Vegas? Um, my parents, we used to drive through here a lot on our way to like vacations for California. And we usually stop in Vegas for like a night or two. And I just was always in awe of the city. I just thought it was so cool. And, um, I guess as a kid, it just, you know, just, I always questioned like what, what it must be like to live here and be around it 24 seven. And here I still am in Las Vegas. Beautiful. So you go to school in Vegas, you have to leave because, you know, you're not going to class. Do you wind up going back or what, what, what makes you uh, uh, get roped back into Vegas? Yeah. So I went home, um, you know, tried to actually study and whatnot. Um, couldn't figure out what I really want to do for a degree. So I ended up leaving school, became a, a newspaper uh, sports writer for a little bit up there and then decided to go finish my degree in communication. So I came back to Vegas at UNL, and I graduated from UNLV. So UNLV Communications, what year did you graduate? Uh, finally got it done in 2006. Okay. So so Vegas, does the, you know, you know, are you, a, a, let's talk about the family dynamics, because this is always fascinating to me where, you know, somebody says, hey, mom and dad or whoever, I'm going to go to Vegas and, uh, and, and not just go to school there, but I'm going to live here. What you know is what does the what does the family think? Um, do they support the idea, um, or, or is there any pushback? No, yeah, they supported it. Um, you know, I think they they just knew, uh, I guess, my character, and they knew I wouldn't get like into anything too crazy. 
Um, so I don't think they were ever worried about that. They were just more like bummed that I was leaving the state. Uh, so, so it was a further away kind of thing, which I think is pretty normal. All right. Gotcha. So, all right. So communications, do you still, what's your first job? How are you earning? What are you, do you have a job while you're at school or do you forget your job first right after you graduate? Yeah, no, I was actually uh, working as a ticket writer, Green Valley Ranch. That was my first, um, my first sportsbook job. And I think I got that in like 2003 or four, somewhere around there. Gotcha. Um, and then, you know, I just, I ended up making enough money uh, just as a writer that, it, like I couldn't even take like an entry level job at that point. I was too accustomed to what I was making. And then, um, then I just kind of stayed in the business cause I loved it. Wow. So green Valley ranch or a ticket writer, any sharp people yeah. walking up to the window at the green Valley ranch at that time? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I could really remember some names, but the guys I was always the most fascinated by are the guys I'd rarely see, but I knew when they came in, they had a real play. Like they would come in and they'd, they'd stay right under like the limit and just, you know, I'd ask them like questions and try to pick up like things. And um, it was pretty fun. Like I remember this one old guy, it's probably like had to be early eighties. He'd walk in, he knew like something was, you know, a three dime limit. He'd bet it for like 2,500, just never wanted to get noticed and, and, uh, and then just go on his way and, he one time had told me, uh, it was the first time I think anybody that I would say I would respect at the time would gave me something interesting. And it was some old NBA, um, always play the home team in game three of a playoff series. If they're, if they covered both games or didn't cover the, didn't cover at home or didn't cover on the road and then come back getting points at home, something like that. I don't even remember it's been so long, but I remember it used to work really well. Uh, for a few years, and then I think it kind of just died out. Gotcha. So an 80-year-old, yeah, when we had runners back then, we had a few 80-plus-year-old uh, runners. Um, that was pretty common because they were very trustworthy and honorable. Right, um, yeah. You know, th- th- what, what, what they would make up for in speed uh, well, if they lack in speed, they'd make up for and in, in, in not running away with the money. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> so, I, I, yeah, yeah, I remember we had a guy named old man, Bob, who I don't even, I haven't, you know, I don't even know if he's still around, but he was 80 something back then. Um, so, but, uh, he was one of the best and, um, yeah, a lot of guys would hang out there. So that's cool. So as a ticket writer, you know that somebody's coming in and somebody's betting a sharp thing. Are the ticket writers sharing that information with other ticket writers? Are you guys trying to get down on your own? Um, this is before apps and anything like that. You know, after your shift, are you trying to go to another sports book to try to get the same piece? How is the environment like? Yeah, I mean, you know, I <laughs> probably not the best idea but i mean i remember once i got real comfortable in my job i i used to like you know take off for lunch and try to go get down on a game uh if i saw if i, <laughs> I, if I saw a guy that i thought you know just really knew what he was doing um and then yeah it's weird man you just start kind of picking up on things i remember me and this one guy that was betting betting with me um i started giving him like the arena football plays that i liked and i mean he was crushing for a while and then was getting in trouble for like double pop in and all that good stuff. And uh, eventually he couldn't come into green Valley anymore. So that was kind of funny. That's great. Now green was green Valley, the hub of the stations or. Um, I want to say, let's see before, before red rock. Cause when I worked there, there was no red rock, um, which is now the hub. I want to say, man, I think it was still a palace. Maybe. Yeah, I think so. I think. Yeah. I think so. And then I just went to rest. So maybe Green Valley never was the hub, really. No, um, yeah, I don't think so. It was, you know, it was considered the jewel for a while of, of our properties and stations. But, um, but yeah, when Red Rock was built, that was when they, they moved it. Gotcha. So let's talk about stations. And, and you're there. So you get your degree, communications, but you're still staying. You're so comfortable. How many years do you stay in the stations as a ticket writer? Um, I ended up getting a super writer job. Uh, I took like a couple months off uh, from the sports book and then came back um, and ended up at, I ended up at Tiesta Henderson. And then after that, um, where I basically supervised like every day I was there, um, never really wrote tickets unless it was like Super Bowl. 
And then um, eventually I moved to Canada as a supervisor. And a couple months later, I was, I was the operations manager there. Beautiful. So you were at, you were a supervisor at stations for like five, six years, right? About you said, Oh no, no, not no. quite that long. Uh, no. Maybe, maybe like, maybe like two and a half, three, somewhere in there, I think. Okay. So you're, yeah. so as, as a supervisor at stations, what are the roles, in the, you know, you're overseeing all the ticket writers, um, mm-hmm. you know, just describe a role for somebody that's kind of new to the business. Yeah, uh, sure. Um, you know, you'd basically just kind of monitor what's going on in the room, like, you know, try to stay on top of the action, fill out the forms that, you know, Nevada wants you to fill out, um, make sure the ticket writers are, you know, balancing their drawers, ideally, you know, helping them to see, if, you know, you think they might be making a mistake, maybe you catch it for them. Um, all that kind of thing. And then just, uh, you know, I usually was closing up the books. So we would take like, you know, the, the last drop of the night and then make sure everybody like matched up with what we were, what our numbers were, were reporting to the cage and whatnot. Was there ever an urge or a desire to say, hey, you know, maybe I could get into the numbers game and start hanging up numbers and moving numbers? Yeah, I was, I was always kind of interested in it. Um, I think for me, like, I just didn't have the, at the time, like, I just didn't have the right kind of connection or um, I I know I knew I needed to learn how to do it right. And I I just didn't think there were a lot of jobs in the city where you had that opportunity. Um, You know, at the time, I would say Westgate was probably the only place that I I felt like was respectable, I guess, to a certain degree. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So if as a supervisor and you're like saying, okay, um, you know, I'm, I'm very comfortable, uh, at my position and you're overseeing things. Do you ever experience stations? You know, it's, it's, it's not, uh, you know, well known for just taking any and all comers. Um, how did you have to deal with having to limit somebody or turn people away? Yeah. I mean, that was never fun, you know, and, and I didn't really have the full understanding that I do now of, you know, why certain players, you know, get cut, why they, why they shouldn't get cut or should get cut, whatever the case may be. Um, but, it, you know, from a customer service standpoint, I mean, that was like our job was to try to like smooth it over as best we could. And, you know, uh, I definitely took some abuse from a few players, but, you know, I understood their frustration. Most time people are just, need to vent at somebody and that's kind of your job. You just have to stay there and try to be, try to be chill about it. Did you always just say, listen, this was the risk management's decision. It's got nothing to do with me. Or did you try to maybe ask the risk managers, why are you doing this? This guy's such a nice guy. I, I used to always ask, um, but you know, they'd only give you so much information just probably because they didn't want you to pass certain things along to the player they were limiting or banning or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, I, I, I just looked at it like you kind of said, you know, there's there's nothing I can do about it. I don't work in the room, so I'm not the one calling the shots. I'm just, unfortunately, the bad messenger. Yeah, it's a tough it's a tough gig to have. And you know, <laughs> like you said, you want to schmooze it over and make everybody happy, but you're only the bearer of bad news, you know, so. Yeah, in it, most it, cases, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, that's tough. Okay. Yeah. So what makes you wind up leaving stations and uh, and take the plunge over to Canner? Uh, yeah, I just had kind of seen what they were doing in the town. I think, um, I want to say when I started there, they might've, uh, just opened Tropicana, uh, possibly gotten into hard rock. I can't, I can't really remember the timeline. It's just, I can barely remember what happened yesterday, let alone years ago. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I just thought it was a good opportunity to go to that company where it was growing and they were, you know, making a lot of noise in the city and, um, and I walked in and it was quite a wor- it was quite a whirlwind and a very different place from stations for sure. Did you work at the end? I did, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and let, let's talk about it because you know I I obviously have a pretty good relationship or had a, you know had at the time a pretty good relationship with those guys. Um, mm-hmm. Who who who'd you interview with? Who hired you? How was the interview process like? Um, you know, to, to go from a supervisor to an operations manager, that's a, you know, that's a, you know, that's a jump, right? So how, how was, uh, how did that play out? And, and <laughs> just take, take us through that whole, that whole process. It's a fun, it's a funny story, really. Um, so I got in there and I, I basically saw that, you know, there were just a lot of things that I would, would say from a, 
reporting point of view and a tracking point of view were pretty poor. Uh, <laughs> we were more, a lot more concerned with taking bets than we were about anything else. Um, which, you know, people I'm sure are listening to this podcast know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. So I interviewed with, um, at the time it was Jorgen Johnson was the operations manager who eventually went to Venetian after they took that over. Um, I interviewed with, I think Steve Kazarian was his name, who was kind of like the COO. And then I interviewed with Mike Colbert, who was the, the risk, basically the risk manager or director of risk or whatever his title was. Um, for, for getting a supervisor job. And when I got the operation manager job a few months later, um, the only conversation I had with Mike was he walked out on the line and he was like, are you ready to step up? And I said, sure. And that was it. And the next like week I was the manager. So very, very weird uh, process. Yeah. Mike is straight to the point. Uh, <laughs> he's the best. There's no, you know what I mean? I, I, I've always said it that I, I you know, I've, I've interacted with so many bookmakers, you know, in my career and, and man, he was, he was one of the best, if not the best, one of my favorite guys. And such, he just knew his stuff, man. And he had balls of steel. He just wasn't afraid. So, all right, you're the operations manager now. What are you learning? Do you, do you kind of, you know, are you seeing anything happening with the risk room um, or, or, or you're, you know, describe the role of an ops manager. Uh, yeah. I mean, Basically, I'm just trying to get everything organized so that we're filing all the right, you know, uh, paperwork to Nevada and whatnot. And, um, you know, it, it, it was it was still a hot mess, but I did what I could, is what I would say. Um, but, yeah, when I first started, the risk was kind of out on the line, like the supervisors kind of did both. And then eventually we kind of separated the two to where it was ops and then it was risk on, and risk went to the back with Mike. Uh, they had their own room and whatnot. Um, so I kind of picked up a little bit, but I really never got, I never got a full dose of it until I was, until I got to Caesars. Um, but at that point I, I had learned a lot from a lot of different people, um, and kind of jumped in, I think with the right type of mindset, but the, you know, the canner room at, uh, under Mike, I mean, they had some of the absolute best, uh, bookmakers that at least I've seen, uh, outside of, you know, probably a few guys that I've met through the islands and whatnot. Well, let's talk about, you know, anybody you want to highlight or you want to talk about, what did you think of Mike himself, you know, as a risk manager? Is my assessment uh, correct? Do you agree, disagree? Well, I, you know, Mike, Mike and I, like, uh, it, it was a weird relationship because we were, because the, because the business was separated from that on that, that uh, side of things where, you know, he looked at risk as the most important thing, which I totally understood. And then the ops side of it was just like, he doesn't care what's going on kind of thing. So, and I think that's where a lot of like the issues came from, but um, you know, I, I, I look at Mike a lot differently after the fact than I do uh, when I was working for him. I'll put it that way. I mean, he, he seems to be a very, very, very smart guy, knew kind of what he was doing, um, but he was very protective of what he was doing. And I feel like he only let certain people behind that door and I was not one of them at the time. And I think that's just mainly because I wasn't in the risk group. Gotcha. And other people, you said the risk, uh, what, what other people came kind of up through Canner that, that are, that are, that are, that have made a name for themselves. Anybody that you remember from when you were there? Or? Yeah. I mean, you know, I got uh, guys like my guy, Greg and uh, Mike, who actually works here now at Winbet. Um, Greg, you know, who, see the, Greg, Greg, uh, uh, Pl Greg Plundo. Um, he's, he's yeah he's out there somewhere in the world uh not sure yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. but he, he was one of the smartest dudes i knew um and then um you know um mike metzler who works for me at uh win he's he's great um jeff davis who's at circa um god i'm forgetting somebody well matt lindeman worked there but he was there he was kind of after the colbert regime but I would say those, those are the three three guys that um, really stood out to me a lot. Gotcha. No, Matt Lindemann, I remember Colbert, you know, would say that Matt would give him lines and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I talked about this. So, yeah, he was still there when, when, when Colbert was there. So, yeah, so that's cool. All right. Um, you know, so you're at Canner now. Uh, well, you know, I, obviously, let's, let's, let's address, you know, um, you know, that famous October 24th, 2012, a day I'll never forget. Um, you know, what happens? Where are you? 
um, when uh, the doors come close, you know, come crashing in. Are you at work? Yeah. Are you off? Or? I I waltzed in. Uh, I want to say I came in that day, um, and stuff was already going on. Uh, and you know, we just had found out what had happened, and um, <laughs> we were just like kind of stunned that like that this was going on, and or what like kind of what are we supposed to do? Or just keep like operating as normal, and then. You know, then we get like the email from the corporate, you know, just keep working and, you know, act like nothing's going on and don't answer any questions to like the press and, you know, that kind of stuff. So um, it's pretty weird, pretty weird, uh, weird couple months for sure. Great. So then how long do you stay after the whole thing? Um, man, timelines I'm terrible with, man. Um, I think I was there another like year and a half, two years, maybe. Okay. Yeah um had a kind of a disagreement with corporate over the direction of my career so um they ended up letting me go and then I just kind of basically had to start all over again um Canada didn't have a very good reputation in the city um and it was it was actually not easy to get back into the business which was crazy and, and I wasn't even involved in the risk room which was also interesting wow okay so having yeah. Canada on your resume wasn't a plus at that time you know at, right after yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, friend of mine got me a, a ticket writing job at Mandalay Bay. That was how I got back in. And then um, I didn't stay there very long. I ended up getting a supervisor job at the link, one of the Caesars properties. And then from there, I ended up getting into the risk room at uh, Caesars Palace. Wow. Okay. So this is, you know, you've, you've, you've been in the business for 12, 13 years, and then you finally make it into a risk room um, at one of the biggest sports books in the city. Um, so man, talk about paying your dues and, and kind of, you no, know, really like that's, that's, you know, not everybody gets to that level and, and you know, or, or to, you know, be in risk. A lot of people want to be in, or some people have no desire, but you, you mentioned that you said, you know, you always wondered how it would be and stuff. So let's talk about that. How did you feel when you got, when you said, Hey, listen, I got a risk room position. I'm, I'm going to be moving numbers and stuff. How was that? It's still to this day one of the best jobs I, I think that there is on the planet. Um, I don't think there's anything cooler than coming in, making your own numbers, trying to figure out where to place them within the marketplace. You know, and you know as well as anybody that if I think you know Rutgers should be you know 19 against Temple this week, I'm not putting 19 on the board. I know I'll take all the plus 19 action I can handle when the market's 17 or 17 and a half. So it's a fun thing to learn. And I, I think the biggest thing is you think like, you know, something when you work in a sports book and then you actually sit behind it and start moving numbers and you realize, wow, I have a lot to learn. Like, I don't know anything. Like I thought I knew, but I don't know anything. Beautiful. So who are you under the tutelage of in that risk room at Caesars? So that Jeff Davis was my boss uh, there. Um, again, from, he was from, you know, the Canada risk room into the, into the Caesars running the Caesars shop. And we kind of, I, I think we did a really good job kind of rebuilding, um, that brand. Uh, you know, and a lot of people said that, you know, they would never bet at Caesars because they just couldn't get it. They couldn't get any bets down whatsoever. And, um, I think we, we turned it into a pretty, uh, reasonably respectable shop. I think at the time. Yeah, Jeff Davis, one of the best. So that's great. A lot of people have so many, you know, he was on my podcast as well. And uh, he was, uh, we had great conversations there. Um, so, yeah, so the Caesars did bring up, you know, build their reputation back up from uh, from a long time ago when, when Vinny Maiulo used to run the joint way back when. Um, you know, so so as, as you know, there's a lot more whales coming into the Caesars, let's say versus the Tropicana or something, you know, so how, you know, how, how is handling whales? And, you know, let's talk about something like that. Cause you know, you get a lot of big, big names coming into that sports book. Um, a lot of big money flowing around. Did you see a lot, you know, bigger numbers than what you were used to? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, I think to a certain degree, um, you know, the canner numbers were pretty insane when, when Mike oh, yeah. was running things. Um, so I kind of had that background a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think the most of the whales that we're going to see at Caesars, you know, they're just, they're just typical, your typical whales where they're kind of blasting away. And, you know, if it's a good number, you do something with it. If it's not a good number, you just almost treat it like it's not there and just keep, just keep going. 
is there any pushback from the suits that want to <laughs> see a profit and don't understand that, um, you know, running a sports book is unlike running any other part of a casino risk, um, you know, when you're getting these, booking these big wheels action. It's always the, it's always the biggest fight that you go through is, you know, trying to, trying to educate enough to where they get it enough to let you kind of do it the way it should be done. But it's a, it's a never ending um, process really. Let's talk about that. Cause I think that's interesting. I think that, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of the, the, the casino guys are just used to printing money with slots or table games and whatnot. And they don't understand in the sports book, uh, you can't win every day. Uh, so, um, when you say educate, what kind of conversations are you having? Um, can you just describe a few or one, or just take us through that a little bit? I think that's an interesting dynamic, um, to have to not just be upset that you lost on a day, but now you got to kind of talk to these guys and, and, you know, are they going to be yelling at you or do they, you know, what happens exactly? Yeah. I mean, there, you know, there's all, I've, I've had it from every, you know, from volume one to volume 10 when it comes to this type of stuff. Um, but ultimately, you know, and I think like the shops that get it, whether they're here or elsewhere, you've got it, you got to write bets. I mean, it comes down to taking as many bets as you can and, you know, everyone gets obsessed with hold percentage. Well, hold percentage is, is great, but if you're not taking any bets, then it doesn't really matter if you hold 20% of basically nothing. But if you hold 3% of like a hundred million, then that's okay. But it's, it's a, it's a combination of like convincing that you have talent that's capable of, you know, impacting that hold percentage in the right way when you take sharp action and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, like the bigger your market share, like people get like kind of lazy. I mean, they, you know, they, they'll tell you, oh, we held 17% of all this money, but it's like, yeah, but if you had more talent, you'd probably hold 21%. And at huge numbers, 4%, it's a big difference. So it, it's just kind of a, it, it's a world where you, you need enough action to, to make it, you know, viable, but you also shouldn't just be turning away action because, you know, people can win. Like it's okay to let customers win if you can use that information well enough in your book with your talent to actually, you know, make money even off of their good wagers. Well, hold on. Let me just, I just ejaculated. Let me clean myself up for a second. <laughs> no, but yes, um, it makes, it makes complete sense. Um, and that's kind of, we're going to get into more of that, you know, on what you guys are doing at the win and what you started doing at Caesars. Um, talent. Let's talk about that. Um, you know, back then or even now to some degree, um, do, you know, it, how different is the talent gap and how important is the talent gap, um, in the sports book world when it comes to moving numbers and making numbers and whatnot? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing is, especially in the city, it was hard to learn the right way to do it, um, for a long time. And I think part of, part of my hesitation with getting in risk rooms is I, I just didn't feel like people actually booked the right way. Um, when you, you know, you're getting rid of a player just because, oh, they beat you to a number. It's like, well, they're, they're, they're helping you. They're making you better. And you should be able to figure out how to take advantage of that. And yeah, it doesn't work every single time. And yeah, you, you're going to make an error. You're going to make mistakes. I've been doing numbers now for a long time. And, you know, I've never, I've never made every single move I've ever done be perfect. And I've, I've put up things that no one else in the world had, and I've gotten cleaned out on it. And then I've also won on it. So it's always a battle. It's a constant battle on both sides. And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, Jeff and I used to joke a long time ago that, you know, they say, Oh, we'll go get, you know, some, some good talent. And it's like, well, we're like, there really isn't any, <laughs> you either have to completely teach them how to do it the right way, or, you know, you get lucky and somebody essentially moved to Vegas that wasn't here before. What is the learning curve? Would you say to educate somebody um, to be a decent bookmaker? Oh man, it, it varies, man. Um, some, some people pick it up really quickly and some people, you know, I worked with for five, six years, just never got it. it, it I don't know what it is. There's just a, 
a certain light switch that just flips on for certain people at certain times. And you, you know it when it, when you see it, but you just, it's, 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 you know, some guys I've hired that I thought were going to be all-stars weren't. And some guys that I hired were like, eh, maybe, and then I hire them. And they're like one of the best hires I've ever hired. So you just never quite know. What? So this is fascinating stuff. Um, and there's probably people listening that might want to say, Hey, listen, I want to be a bookmaker. I want to get into the business. What do you look for? You say there's because this is interesting. As you know, you're, you're the vice president of trading, so you're hiring, firing, doing this, doing that. You've 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 been through, you've seen resumes out the wazoo. When you look at somebody, you thought they were an all star, and then you see other guys, you think oh, I don't know how I don't know if they're going to be any good, but they wind up being an all star. What have you noticed is a common factor? amongst all-stars is there something that you could pinpoint is there an attribute is there something a, a characteristic something that says man these are the type of people i want to hire this if they have checkbox this one two and three more often than not these are the guys that are succeed yeah man I, w- I wish i had that like that perfect description of what that person looks like. Cause that's all I would ever hire. <laughs> um, but I think the biggest thing is like, you know, show me, show me some work that you put into the business. In other words, you know, I, I don't want to hear that you like college football. I want to hear that you make college football numbers and you make a couple bets here and there off of your numbers and your numbers don't have to be amazing, but, but, you know, are, are you showing something? Are you, you know, when you're when you're throwing up the Oklahoma Nebraska game, if you were doing the numbers before, you know, everyone put one up. Like, what was your number? Was it close? You know, learn, keep learning, like how to actually make numbers, and I ideally learn from somebody who actually does it from either you know the risk side of the counter or the or the betting side of the counter, and you're gonna uh, get proper knowledge of how this is all done. So. I had a fascinating interview with Antonino. He used to work at the Pinnacle. And uh, he was a, 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 I don't know if you heard it. It was one of my last podcasts. But he was a Magic the Gathering player. And Pinnacle, you know, back in the early, mid-2000s, where they got the most of their talent pool was Magic the Gathering players. Because Magic the Gathering was, a, a you know, a CCG collectible card game where you actually manage risk, completely different from sports. These guys knew nothing about sports, but they knew how to build their deck to try to optimize their deck to, you know, to maximize their chances of winning. And they knew all the different combinations. They could think fast and on their feet. And I just think that's such a fascinating thing. Um, Wall Street, for example, Wall Street used to have guys, a lot of Wall Street companies I heard of would look at guys, how they, if they played board games or poker and how they would handle that risk element, um, had nothing to do with trading um, um, or like that. They would just look at other aspects and kind of judge them on that. Um, is there any idea that you could, you know, that, that, you know, what do you think of these ideas? It's, it's a little bit unconventional, well, unconventional, but it seemed to, to work pretty well um, for Pinnacle and for other companies. Um, is, is knowledge of sports and making numbers, like you said, is that an adequate prerequisite? Or maybe you could think outside the box. Again, I'm just, I'm not trying to uh, criticize or, or uh, your, your techniques. I'm just trying to figure out maybe there's another way to do it um, that's not in the, in the sports betting field per se. Oh, yeah. I think intelligence is just the biggest, you know, thing that you kind of look for. And you hope somebody's, um, you know, has a very, uh, you know, any type, like there's all kinds of variations of that word, right? Like, so there's book smarts or street smarts, there's, you know, mathematics smarts, there's, I mean, there's all kinds of things. So yeah, I, I can totally see how that would have worked out really well because there are similarities to just, you know, understanding like how, you know, to get to a number can just be on the basis of, all right, we took about, you know, 13% of that, that we wanted. So like, let's move, let's get aggressive and try to get a bet back this way. Cause it's gonna, it's gonna steam another two and a half points, three points, probably this number is not good. And I think that can be learned from somebody who doesn't even know where, you know, old dominion is located in the country, you know, like that, that's just a, it's just another thing that you can use off of the basis of, you know, um, your background in math or your background in, you know, something like uh, poker. I love it. That's great. 
how many, you know, so, so before we talk about where, or even let's talk about Caesars, how many people work in an average risk room, Caesars, when how many guys are there moving numbers at one time? It's funny, man. Um, like every time I've worked at a ri- or in the risk room, like it just kept growing and growing and growing. Um, and then, you know, basically the Caesars would get, was uh, sold or whatever to William Hull. So, um, or excuse me, to uh, El Dorado. So they had a contract with William Hill. So basically that got swallowed up into the, the William Hill system. And, you know, their room now is like, you know, a giant, it's massive. Um, and then at WinBet, I think I started with maybe I had like three guys with me to start. And then now we're up to, I don't know, 16 maybe. So uh, it just keeps on getting bigger. So we'll see where we kind of end up in a few years. Amazing. Um, it's crazy because even down on the islands, you know, I visit a couple of people down there and there were, uh, there used to be one guy or two guys managing the entire board. And now some of the bigger offices, they have, I think up to 80 guys, if not more, yeah, yeah. you know, that, that's yeah. how insane it is. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and on top of that, they have an auto mover. Um, so, <laughs> you know what I mean? 80 plus yeah. auto mover. Um, yeah. just to think like it's, 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 it's crazy stuff. Um, and, and so, man, uh, so there is room, you know, a lot of people are, oh, man, bookmaking, it's hard to get a job, but there, if you're good enough and if you have a desire, um, there, or there is ways to, to break into the business and, uh, yeah. and get into it. There's, there, there's, I, I think, w- would you agree with me, Alan, that th- there's more of a trend now where talented bookmakers are, are, are uh, desirable at this point. There's, there's a call for them um, where there was, you know, a lot of the older guys are, are, are fading away and uh, we're looking to retire soon. And then there's a gap there. And then, you know, where there, you know, guys are just kicking people out and kicking people out. And now it's kind of shifting the other way where, you know what, people might be realizing that if you have enough talent, um, like you said earlier, that you can sway that pendulum um, and, and make it even more profitable. Um, do you see that trend happening? Yeah, I think so. I think it's, I think it's kind of one of these things that's still like bubbling under the surface a little bit, but yeah, I think that people are starting to realize like the more talent we have, the more, you know, quality traders you have, the more that they can make a, uh, a difference on the bottom line. And at the end of the day, when you're talking about, you know, a business that you really should kind of look at monthly, um, you know, there's no reason you should, you should be losing and the, and the better your guys are that are you know impacting the numbers. I mean, you're going to hold more and more percent as you go along. Beautiful stuff. All right. So William Hill swallows up Caesars. Um, how do you get into win bet? Yeah. Uh, honestly, I just got uh, kind of recruited through LinkedIn. Um, and next thing I knew I was, you know, in interviews for uh, basically the head of, uh, new risk room. Um, yeah, I, I had a good gig, uh, at Caesar. So, um, you know, I, I don't think I really needed to run away or anything, but I, I really liked the opportunity of, of starting my own book. And I, I wasn't quite sure where I was going to fit in, uh, at William Hill. I mean, I, you know, I had a reasonably good reputation, I feel like in, in the city and, and people knew me and whatnot and what I was good at, but, um, you know, I, I just really couldn't pass up the opportunity to work for a really great company like Wynn and and kind of see where that went. How's my man Ian Williams? Was he involved, or you, you were there before Ian, or what happened? I, I was. Yeah, I was here before Ian. Um, I I at the time interviewed with um, who's now the CEO Craig Billings uh, for Win. Um, that's kind of what kicked the whole thing off, and I, I want to say I was like I don't know somewhere between the the sixth and like eighth employee. It seemed like it at WinBet. Uh, we didn't even have like a building when I first got hired. And, um, you know, now we got a pretty, pretty awesome building, uh, close to the airport. And, um, you know, now there's just employees everywhere and, um, it's been, been exciting now. And you guys, you work out of that building close to the airport. You guys don't go into the actual win casino. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And we, we currently, uh, you know, we don't, we don't, even though we're located in Vegas, uh, we don't run the Nevada book currently. 
Now, why is that? Why, you know, that happens. It seems to be happening everywhere. You have the golden nugget in Vegas and there's golden nugget. You see two separate lines. You have the Mirage MGM line in Vegas and then there's MGM line different everywhere. Why are there so you know, different line sets? Uh, what, what's the what's the reasoning behind that? I, to be honest, I'm not exactly sure. Um, you know, I, I think that they just have something that's been running the way it's been running for, you know, since they probably opened. Um, and I think that, that that doesn't just include when, as you mentioned, it's a bunch of different places in Nevada are like that. And, um, you know, I think it, it's just, maybe there's a, the, the idea of like, well, let's create something new and see how we run this in the marketplace against, you know, the other competitors that are out there. And, and I think it's just kind of, I guess it, from, from my side, it kind of makes sense at least to start. Um, but I, I don't know how things will go in the future. Given you're under the same win umbrella, is it under the same win umbrella, the corporation win, like win bet and win Las, the win Las Vegas sportsbook? Is there any, any, any uh, uh, you know, parent that's, that's mutual grandparents? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the logistics of like exactly how it folds into the corporation of it. I know like, um, like we're, we're considered win interactive. So, um, how that's all defined, you know, I, am not exactly hundred percent sure. Is there any resource sharing or information sharing between the walk-up sports book in Vegas and you guys are completely run independently? It, it's run independently. Um, I, I think that, you know, we, uh, you know, we can definitely like communicate with each other. There's no, nothing that says that we couldn't, but, um, but yeah, we, we pretty much run completely separate. Gotcha. Okay. So you're, you're, you got this new gig now and um, you know, are you, you know, you're making, are, are you the one making all these hires that you said um, recently, like you said, Mike and Je- and, and, and Lindman, are you bringing building this whole team um, um, to try to take you guys to next level? What's the, what's the, the, uh, the goal of WinBet? How do you guys separate yourselves from the other sports books out there that are growing nationally? Yeah, I, I think part, I think step one is, um, you know, I've always wanted to build a book that, you know, we could take a bet. I, I don't want, I don't want to throw out winners just because they win. I, I think it's on trading to figure out like, okay, this guy's beating us. Why is he beating us? You know, he's beating us, you know, when we put up a number on a Monday in college football, all right, cool. That we probably need to figure out how much we should move that. Like, and then, you know, there's, there's just so many things that go on in the course of a week inside of a number and the bets you take and the way the market reacts, all these different things. Like to me, it's on, it's on the sports book to figure out what to do with it. I, I don't, I don't see how it's like, right to just limit everybody because they're they're better than you are to me it's like you should learn how to get better and the better your room is the more you are going to impact that whole percentage as you go along so you know that's number one i think we we ideally we want to take bets from people um you know we just want we just want to be treated fairly on our side as well like you know if we have a clear mistake like if we put up florida state minus 11 and a half and someone fat fingered 11 and a half and we get popped for the limit when the line's one and a half. I mean, that's the type of thing where it's like, you know, don't do that to us if you want to bet hairs and, and not get limited. You know what I mean? Like if you just don't take shots at us, like that's, that's the only way you're really going to get limited here. Gotcha. Um, and, and so that's great. I love it. How about props? You guys deal your own props, outsource them. Um, let's talk about that environment. We- we, we make a couple here and there, but we're, we're still working through um, the technology to really let my trading room do more and more and more. Um, so for now, most of that stuff gets outsourced and, and you know, it, it, we'd, we'd like to do a lot more. I'll put it that way. But um, we, we have limitations here and there. Can you limit somebody just on props, but keep your limits the same in the regular book? Yeah, we try, uh, we try to like, cause I know a lot of companies, like they kind of get lazy with their stake factoring where they'll just chop somebody completely. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not going to, we're not going to chop anybody. Like, you know, like if, you know, say we take, uh, I don't know, like 10,000 on this particular market, but we need to control somebody a little bit more on player props. Like we would just move the player prop stake factor. 
Beautiful. And you have some people, I don't, I, I don't even think that there's lazy. Sometimes it might be a software thing where they just can't. Um, I think that sometimes the stake factor is just, it's a global uh, stake factor. They yeah. Can't, you know, no, that, yeah, that's fair. I, we have, we have a few of those limitations as well. So um, I, I just know that there's a few that I think don't, don't, that do have it at least somewhat a piece of it, but just to choose not to use it. So, you know, you're one of the few sports books um, out there that is not afraid to take sharp action. I can speak personally from that, and so can my man Chinese Mike. You guys, um, you know, are, are, are you book action and you book it with a smile um, and um, you learn from it. Now, to, to, you know, to the naysayers out there, the guys are like, but it's so much easier to kick them out. Or to just you know hire a team to just eliminate these guys. Why have to worry about these these pests? Um, what do you say to those guys? Uh, I just think it's funny that they don't think that those guys usually have a way to figure out how to get back into their books. Like eventually, you're just going to keep kicking out the same guy fifty five times. Like the better they are, the more likelihood that they're going to figure out how to get how to get down in your sports book, whether it's through a kiosk over the counter, a sister's account, a friend, a neighbor's account, like they're going to figure it out somehow one way or another, they'll figure out how to get money into your book. So I think your bet, your best bet is to try to figure out, all right, who, who's betting this? Why are they betting it? Let's, let's use that information to help us book the game. Like that to me is at the end of the day, the best way to bookmake. I always like, I don't know if you've heard my analogy about the engineer and the flood did you ever hear that analogy? I've, I've, I've no, said it a few times. So, so yeah. I look at the way I look at it, and you know, uh, the way I look at it is, you know, let's just say you know you live in a place that's uh, that rains a lot somewhere in Seattle or somewhere around Seattle. It's raining a lot, and your basement is flooding every single day. There's two ways to solve the problem. You could hire a bucket brigade, a cheap bucket guys that just scoop the water out every single day. And, you know, it's cheap labor, but you know what? You get you solve the problem until it comes, happens the next day and the next day and the next day. Or what you could do is you could spend a little bit more money and hire an engineer to actually change the leveling of the house to make sure that the rainwater gets filtered in a way that it doesn't flood your basement, but you use that rainwater in a way that could help, you know, have a water reserve or be able to flower your plants or do something that's positive with that water. Obviously, with the analogy, of course, the water being that sharp better, the house just being your shop and, uh, and you know, these guys throwing people out of that bucket brigade, but that engineer is that sharp bookmaker where, you know, it, it costs, uh, you know, a pretty penny in the beginning to kind of spend that money to build that talent, build that infrastructure. But once you know how to do it, you don't have to worry about kicking people out. The talent is already there and you're able to deal with them accordingly. Yeah. That's pretty much it, man. I mean, it's not the easiest thing in the world. And there's always like challenges that, you know, that we run into that, that aren't about us or they're not about how they're just on like how the system works or we'd like to do this, but we only can control so much. I don't have a team of 80 guys, like you mentioned, some you know places do. Um, and I think we're working towards that. We keep, you know, I feel like our, our product is going to keep improving. Um, we're making a lot of things happen behind the scenes that I think are going to be great for not only us, but also for our customers. And, um, and, you know, like at the end of the day, you have, you know, win Las Vegas and you have, you know, Encore Boston Harbor, uh, which will have sports betting pretty soon, hopefully. Um, and, you know, th those two things, I mean, you know, you can't get better than staying at those two places. I mean, they're just absolutely amazing. I love it. You guys uh, are, are really making a name for yourselves, and I'm proud of you guys of what you're doing for the business. Um, and, um, you know, from people from my uh, from my side of the counter, it's definitely noticed um, and it's definitely admirable on, on, on how you guys run your business and not taking the easy way out and not taking a shortcut. And it, it's it's like you said, it's gonna, it's long term. Um, this is, you know, and, and, you know, like you said, it's the correct way to operate um, to be able to, to, to be long term, to be prosperous and to um, to have a good name. I think a lot of people, they kick they, they kick customers out and they limit them because they think the public won't realize it. And part of what I did was try to, you know what, say, nah, the public will realize it. I'll make sure of it because if I get treated like shit. I let everybody know about it. Not that, you know, I have a big voice, but 
I let everybody know about it. But at the same time, if I get treated like gold, I'm also going to let everybody know about it. So I think that, you know, I'll do my part, my small voice to be able to spread the word. And I think everybody should do their part because I think this is one of those things in which you want, you got to look out for each other. You want the, the, the cream rises to the top. And, um, and we want you guys like you to expand as much Alan and to be able to, um, to accept all customers and, 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 and still be profitable. And it's definitely doable. And you guys are living proof of that. Um, so uh, much, much, uh, praise and respect to you guys. Yeah, man. Thanks. I mean, you know, we're, like I said, we're working towards, um, you know, even bigger days and, and, um, you know, things that we're going to be able to do as we go along. And, and, you know, with the younger guys that we got that are training under, you know, Matt Lindemann, Matsoy Pearson, Michael Metzler, um, you know, we're, we're, we're really getting to where, um, I think we're going to end up someday being, you know, one of the first books people talk about as one of the best. I'm sure of it. Uh, let's talk about some of these guys that you get on when it comes to celebrities and stuff. I know you're not really involved <laughs> in that, but you ever meet Shaq or these guys that I know Shaq is a big face of the company. Yeah, no, I, I usually stay, uh, stay in my, in my office. Um, I got, a bunch of stuff to do and uh usually any type of free time i get which isn't a whole lot during football season i try to hang out with my kids or, or go relax somewhere in this wonderful city that i live in i love it so you don't really hang out with all you know there's no celebrity parties or launch parties you kind of stay out of that yeah i'm pretty i'm pretty low-key guy for the most part i i try not to get uh too wrapped into things well, I love it. Well, I bet Bash, you didn't seem too low key. You know what I mean? Let's be honest. Here. <laughs> you could definitely put them down, my man. You know, we had a good oh, talk. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, when I'm around, when I'm around the people, it's that's okay. You know, it's like uh, go to these celebrity functions. I'm like, oh, that's yeah, a different, exactly. Isn't my scene. Different gig. Those aren't your people. I love it. That makes yep. sense. Makes sense. <laughs> no, no, that's good stuff. Oh, this is great, Alan. I really appreciate you taking the time, man. Um, uh, before we close, um, name of the podcast is called Be Better Betters. Um, is there, you know, I always try to ask if you could give some advice or even be better bookmakers, um, whichever one you want to do, whichever avenue you want to take on some, uh, to give advice to somebody that's coming up in the business on either side of the counter. What kind of advice would you give that person to try to become better? Um, I, th I think it goes back to one of the things I said. I, I think if you, if you want to get serious about whether it's being a better, being a bookmaker, I, I think they basically go hand in hand. And I don't know any good bookmakers that aren't good betters in most cases. Um, so just, you know, learn how to learn how to make a number, learn how guys used to make numbers, learn what influences a number, learn about the marketplace, you know, get yourself a, a screen that can tell you like what's happening in the world. Um, you know, so that you can kind of start figuring that piece out. If you, if you start to learn more about that, you, you'll probably become a lot better, better, and you'll be able to be a bookmaker that that'll be great someday. Alan, you're the man, always a pleasure. I can't wait to see you next time I'm in town, dinner on me and um, best of luck uh, for this season and many seasons to come, my friend. Appreciate it, man. Thanks. Thanks so much for the time. Until next time.